0: Welcome to the Double Up. I'm Shannon Hughes.
1: And I'm Rachel Tilley, and we're here to serve as the voice of women's surfing.
0: In today's Critical Conversation with Isabella Nichols, we catch up on her rookie year, discuss her goals heading into 2022, and she shares with us some of her perspectives gained through her competitive career thus far. Shannon. Hey, Rachel. I am so excited to catch up with Isabella Nichols this week.
1: Yeah. So basically, Shannon, we are having our first critical conversation episode, which if you follow our Instagram or listen to our previous episode this week, you'll have heard our explanation about how we have been splitting up conversations like this from our weekly news podcast. And this here is a critical conversation And obviously, as we just said, we are talking to Isabella Nichols and it is just, I'm really excited.
0: Yeah, exactly. So for those who don't regularly listen, at the beginning of each week, we release a weekly wrap in Women's Surf, which covers all the current news in women's surfing. You can also find us on Instagram at the.double.up. All
1: right. Well, let's get into it. Isabella Nichols is the 2016 Junior World Champion she qualified for the World Tour back in 2019. Obviously, the tour was canceled during 2020. And so her rookie year, she was the only rookie in 2021 and ended up requalifying by finishing ninth on the World Tour.
0: Yeah, Rachel, I love those stats about Isabella. Um, I'm so keen to get into a conversation with her. And I'm just remembering that back in 2019, when she qualified for the championship tour out of her rankings on the qualifying series. She won the QS and she was actually the last person to win the QS since it has now changed true. to the Challenger Series for the way that surfers qualify onto the championship tour. Well, Isabella is
1: one of my favorite surfers on tour, but on top of that, she is just one of my favorite people. Like She's so good to have a conversation with and so relatable and nice. So it's such a treat to get to talk to her.
0: Yeah, I'm so stoked about that. And just seeing her success that came through her junior career and into her qualifying series, it took her a while to find her feet on the qualifying series and actually walk away with that win back in 2019 and actually get onto the championship tour. And I worked a lot of the events in the Australian QS where she was battling it through to try and, you know, kind of stake her claim. She's also studying full time while competing on the qualifying series and was studying while in her first year on the championship tour. Yeah, it's and so, so it's, impressive. It's so impressive. And it seems like, you know, it just speaks to who Isabella is as a well-rounded person, right? She's an mm, athlete, she's a student, so and she has so much to offer in so many different areas of life.
1: Yeah. Well, Shan, her and I actually won our world titles. Well, I won my longboard world title. She won her junior world title around the same time. Mine was at the end of 2015 and hers was She's technically the 2016 Junior World Champ because theirs take place in January. But we got our world titles presented to us at this same WSL ball um, in 2016 on the Gold Coast and met her there. And she's become a, a good friend since then. And I'm so pleased that she was keen to come on and that she's keen to chat to us.
0: Well, Isabella Nichols is from the Sunshine Coast of Australia. But when we pick up our conversation, she's currently located on the North Shore of Oahu. Well, thank you so much, Isabella, for joining the podcast today, The Double Up. Um, It's so exciting to just see where your surfing career has taken you and to just be able to get to witness some of the waves you've been getting on the North Shore this season. Um, We would love to just start things off by knowing how it was that you started this journey. How did you get into surfing in the first place?
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. Lovely, as always, to talk to you two lovely ladies. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm here on the North Shore now. It's been amazing. The waves have been pretty solid for the past like 2 weeks so it's been good to kind of throw myself in the deep end yeah but taking it back to the very start i started getting into surfing because my dad just loves it with a passion he's not a competitive surfer he's just your like weekend warrior but he wanted a buddy to go surfing with so um <laughs> i have a twin and she didn't really she never really took an interest in it so I guess I was the chosen child <laughs> and the first wave I ever stood up on was I was 11 years old at Rainbow Bay up at Double Island and it's like vividly burnt into my oh, memory. Oh, that's the best. Yeah, so that was where I started surfing and um, just the love of the ocean my dad instilled in me and I still let every time I go home up to the Sunshine Coast, surfing with him is like one of the best things in the whole world. So... That's pretty much how I started surfing. Uh, I never actually kind of really, I didn't take it up straight away. Like I loved it, but I didn't like know that I wanted to do it for the rest of my life. Um, It was more just like I live by the beach. Yeah, it's nice to go surfing here and there, but I actually started playing soccer really young. And so the whole time I'm like, I want to be a soccer player. This is sick. Like I get to hang out with my mates. It's like a team sport. Yeah. And then I kind of got to a point where I had to choose whether I wanted to surf or do soccer and I ended up obviously choosing surfing, but the story behind that is because I kind of s- stopped surfing for a little while. My dad was super eager to get me back into it, right? And the way he mm. did that was by in the morning before school, he would bribe me with a bacon and egg McMuffin to go <laughs> surfing with him. Um, and that was <laughs> that was kind of how like that was how I started getting like roped back into it. And then obviously doing surf contests like rom comps with my friends, I found like that element of not so much a team sport, but like a community kind of sport out of surfing rather than just the individualism of it. I think that whole part of it really appealed to me because you can just go surfing with your mates. I like Mm -hmm. hanging out with people. I don't really like, even though it is a very individual sport, even on the road here, I have like my support crew, my family, my friends, they're kind of like behind me anyway. So it feels like I've I've got like a team on my shoulders anyhow. So I've just kind of added that little element in and yeah, I mean, still doing it now at 24. So I've been surfing for about 13 or 12 years. I feel like that can be like a
1: love-hate relationship that I've had with surfing that one, I love that it can be individual because you don't need anyone. If you feel like going surfing, you can just go. But then I look at like people who have team aspects and I'm like, oh man, I wish sometimes like we all surfed on a team or when I've surfed in ISA events with a team, it's really fun. And so I think that's a really positive thing to intentionally then surround yourself with the team and bring yourself, you know, bring them along for the journey because it makes all the difference, especially traveling internationally. So then when, if you went away, when did you like really at that point say, at what age were you when you said, okay, I'm taking this on and we're going to go competitive and we're going to really like take this as a journey?
2: That's a good question, and one that I've like tried to think about. If there was like a turning point for me, and I think there was, uh, in a way, I was probably sixteen or seventeen at the time, and I'd just done a couple of like the Grom contests, like the Oki contest, the Skull Candy, you know, all those stepping stones for a Grom coming through the junior series. And I remember my dad sitting down with me, and he's like, "You know, like you can do this if you wanted to really put your head down and do it." And I sat there, and I was like, "I love it, like." I can't see myself working in a nine-to-five job behind a desk. So that was when I was like, you know what, like I may as well give it a crack. And I didn't really look at it in an aspect of like, I can earn some money here. I can make this a career. It was more like this is something that I enjoy doing and I may as well do it for as long as I can because I've always just loved doing things that make me happy. So I think that was kind of like the turning point for me when in my head I was like, okay, like I can actually – I can't actually do this. It wasn't a point where I was like, all right, I'm good enough to do this. It was a point where I was like, yeah. okay, I actually want to do this. I think the point where I realized that I was good enough to do it was maybe, I don't even know if it actually has sunk in yet. I don't even know if I've hit that point. Um, but I think there was a point through the junior series, and maybe even winning the world junior title in 2016 in Erisera, that was probably when I was like, okay, this is actually like, I can do this.
1: Yeah. I was going to mention that because it wouldn't have been like you say 16 or 17. It would have only been a year or two later that you won the junior world title. And I feel like for me, that would have, I mean, the rest of the surfing world was definitely indicating Isabella as like, okay, she's like, she's on her way to the tour and to where you are now.
2: Yeah, it was, um, it was interesting. Like I, I didn't have too much self-confidence when I started, it was more just like for the fun. And I guess a lot of people had a lot more faith in me than I had in myself. And I think then winning that world junior title instilled a little bit of that faith back in myself. And I think that was at the point where I was like, all right, like, I can do this. But then obviously um, following on three years later, I had like three really hard years after the world juniors. And that was kind of like, it beat a bit of that faith back out of me. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it kind of fluctuated. Throughout those years in my life, between like sixteen and twenty, twenty-one, until I actually finally cracked the code, which is actually very hard to do <laughs> um, for me. Anyway, some people can just jump on yeah. when they're sixteen, but I think I qualified. I qualified when I was twenty-two, one of the oldest rookies. Uh, looking back at some of the data, yeah. So
0: I'm I'm an old chook. <laughs> <laughs> That's such an interesting one actually. And thinking of like where your surfing started with your dad when you were so small to like graduating through all those different levels and finally making it onto the championship tour. You were the only rookie on tour this last season, and it was like pretty much the craziest year of competitive surfing that modern day surfing has seen. Like the craziest year with COVID, with all the travel regulations, like all the different things that came into it. It seemed like a pretty challenging one. How does, you know, where is your perspective now sitting? After that year's finished up, you had that year off after qualifying without even being able to compete on the tour, the dream tour that you finally made it onto. What is your perspective sitting with now that you have finished that out and you've walked away with a really solid rookie season?
2: It's definitely been a interesting two years to say the least, obviously qualifying and then having like the carpet ripped out from under my feet. Yeah, exactly. Last year or not last year, the year before, sorry. I keep getting confused with all this timeline stuff. <laughs> but um <laughs> yeah, 2020 was 2020 was interesting cuz obviously I was leading up to Snapper and then Snapper got canceled and I still had high hopes that the year would run and everything just started getting knocked off one by one and to be honest, like I've said this a few times and looking back, I think it's really true, but I don't think I was 100% ready. To compete on the World Tour Mm. just yet. I don't think I was mentally mature enough to handle all the pressures of it. And now seeing what I went through last year, it was really mentally challenging. I saw, I saw a lot of people go through really hard times. I went through hard times myself. Um, obviously coming out, re-qualifying was like the main goal for me, but I think the year of 2020, having that whole year off and actually being able to work on myself, my mental game, my surfing game. I think you, if you asked everyone on tour, especially like the veterans who have not had a year off, like after one year, I'm like, man, I don't know how these guys stay on for like 15 plus years. It's crazy. So I think 2020 was really beneficial for me, for everyone. I learned a lot about myself. And then obviously fast forward to the year that just went, being able to adapt to so many changing situations. It was really, Quite a head spin, just like this is on, this is off. You gotta do this, you can't interact with anyone. You gotta fly through all these random countries and then COVID test galore, man. Like I think I got my brain tickled like 30 times last year. So uncomfortable. (laughs) That's the word. So uncomfortable. But I'm like used to them now. I didn't when I went home, I didn't have any for like four months. I'm like, this is bizarre. (laughs) (laughs) Um (laughs) but yeah, last year taught me so much about myself and had it have been me not qualifying obviously I would be devastated but I still would have come out with so much learning behind what happened last year being pretty much thrown in the deep end like you said only rookie on tour I kind of didn't know I didn't have anyone to like navigate it with me because everyone had already gone through it and everyone knew yeah. everyone and then now we're in this space where we all can't interact with anyone outside our bubble we have to interact with each other and so it was like a very quick learning curve but Man, it was the, like probably definitely the most satisfying year of my life, being able to know that I can overcome those hardships and then also, you know, re qualify. So it was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, it's pretty amazing. That's incredible to hear your perspective on that. And um, even just thinking of like all the change that you had to deal with being the rookie and coming from team sports. I also played soccer my whole life. Like I played from childhood up through college. And to have that team aspect means, you know, you've got that support system around you. And even for you being like the sole rookie, to know that you're the only one going through these things and that there's not someone else you can kind of bump, bump those conversations off of and those feelings and everything aside from, you know, your coaches or the team that's kind of specifically surrounding you. You guys had like shifting venues, your expectations had to change all the time. Like you mentioned with every like other day, there was a, a spot on tour, a spot off tour, a spot on tour, a spot <laughs> off. tour, it was like always really. changing. Now, looking back to things, are you happy with the tour that you ended up surfing, or do you wish that you would have been able to surf the tour that you had originally been preparing for?
2: I really enjoyed the tour that I surfed, mostly like when everything got cancelled. Snapper obviously was like number one on my bucket list, Maui was number two. So to be able to actually surf Maui as the first event of the year was so special. But mm. then all the contests got changed and moved and at the start I was really bummed because, you know, you grow up looking at all these contests and you're like, it's the dream tour, this is what it is, this is where we go, these are the ways we get to surf and for the past like eight to ten years, that's all I've known and going into the last two years, I wasn't very good with change. I didn't like change, I like everything being the same, you know, like so so having all those contests pulled, it was really daunting but then Newcastle coming in, Narrabeen coming in, Newcastle was an event that I'd surfed in the QS, you know, like eight times over. And it is one of my favorite places in the whole world. So to have that on tour was really special. Um, Rottnest Island, no one had ever surfed there. So all these new events, I kind of had to change my mind frame and look at it in a way of like, okay, so all these girls had experience at these other waves. Now we're all kind of on the same playing field. So I felt like it kind of evened my chances a little bit as such. So that was kind of the way that I reframed everything in my mind. And so I wouldn't change a thing. I I wish we could have gotten to Chopu to surf a contest because I would have loved to have seen how I would have fared over there. But funny story is I went to Chopu right before Mexico. And as I was leaving, the COVID outbreak started happening um, at Chopes. And so it was mental. So I got really sick when I was in Chopu. And I'm like, oh, my God, I have COVID. I won't be able to get to Mexico. I'm not going <gasps> to re-qualify. We got out of the country oh, no. two days before they shut the international borders. So, it, we're like, we obviously tested negative. Um, we didn't have COVID, thank God. But got to Mexico and then they pretty much, like, scrapped Chopu. And it was, like, pretty wild, to be honest, because we were in the community. Like, people we know had COVID were surfing with us and we were, like, had never been so close to it before. So, it was, like, it was it was wild.
1: Yeah, that um, I had seen you right before you went to Chopu because you brought me
2: aboard from America. Thank 19. you again. <laughs> You're welcome. I hope you've put it to good use. <laughs> I have.
1: I have. It was like a saving grace of having some new equipment over there. <laughs> but I want to go back to Newcastle because you did breeze over that briefly, but obviously your experience, like you said, it's one of your favorite places there and you've served so many QSs there that clearly paid off because you made your first final on tour. And that was just the second event of the year. I mean, how what was that like? How was that experience? And how did that take you then through the rest of the year with your confidence?
2: That was crazy. I, I think uh, a number of factors helped in getting myself in a good headspace. And the first one was um, having my parents at the contest. They'd never really come to any comps before. And My mom, my dad and my brother were there supporting on the beach every single day, like rain, hail or shine, every heat, they were there and they were the last people that I saw before heading out into the water and the first people I saw coming in after a heat. So it was really, really special to have them there and then obviously I found for me what works is if I feel comfortable in a place, then I feel comfortable in a heat and having that comfort level of even just like knowing what cafes to go to in Newcastle or like I know the people yeah. there. I know the restaurants. Like it's the simple things like that for me is what really counts. So I think those are things that I'm going to put down to being like factors in my success there. But in the end, like it's such, it's, it is such a weird wave because it's so volatile. It's out the back. It's in the Shuri, Like the tide changes it so yeah. much. I think there was a level of luck there too where um, I just maybe picked the right waves or sat in the right spot. Because all the other girls were surfing really well. And in places like that, sometimes you just got to leave it up to Mother Nature, really. So I'm going to, yeah, thank her for that one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's amazing. I was just so excited to be able to see that and to see you come into, you know, such so early in your career on the championship tour and to be able to find that sort of success. It's pretty rare, even, you know, thinking about that final at Newcastle, helped you so greatly to get you into that top 10 conversation at the end of the year Mm. for the championship tour in the women's side. And it's actually been a really difficult task for women to crack the top 10 over the past decade, especially as rookies. So since 2013, only four surfers, Caroline Marks, Tatiana Weston-Webb, Bianca Batendog, and Joanne DeFay were able to finish in the top 10 in their first year on tour, in their rookie year. And all of those women have gone on to really solid careers. So how important did it feel for you? Did you find yourself thinking about that a lot, you know, wanting to make it into the top 10 and get your requalification via the championship tour rather than having to rely on, well, the new challenger series after you took out the win at the last qualifying series?
2: Yeah, so going into last year, my main and pretty much only goal, no, I had two goals actually. My first goal was to, enjoy the process, which is always so much easier said than done. Um, And my second goal was to qualify through the CT. So I didn't have to continue on and do the QS because looking at the schedule, the change schedule, it just looked like so much traveling. And I mean, had I have needed to do the QS, I would have been okay with it. But I think just having that goal at the start of the year to qualify top 10, it was actually qualified top nine because they cut off one of the spots that's, That's true. right. Yep. So it was very stressful um, just constantly looking at the ratings. But the Newcastle contest helped me more than I could have known because I actually looked at the rankings and the seven women or the eight women above me or seven women above me, l- there was no two um, double winners. So every woman on tour had won a contest and no contest was won by, or well, no one person had won more than one contest. So yeah. for me to have that final, um, it came down to the last heat in Mexico for me and I think against Tyler, if I hadn't have made that heat, wow, I would have been off tour or relegated to the Challenger Series. So, um, yeah, going into that year with the goal of top 10, knowing how hard it would be and not being too concerned if it didn't happen, just having that solid goal in place was, was good and to know that I can kind of follow through and – that I reached that goal was pretty special, especially considering everything like we talked about earlier. But um, yeah. yeah, I think for me, like obviously when you go in, you don't know how you're going to fare like against those girls. I had no idea how I'd go. I was just kind of going, okay, we'll see how we go. Like I'm just going to do my best. And it's pretty cool to hear those stats that you just mentioned. So, I mean, hopefully I can, again, requalify through the CT, but this year I'm hoping for a top five finish. So that's the goal for this year.
1: Yeah, I think it's so important and uh, good to have those tangible goals to keep like feeding yourself and it keeps you pushing yourself forward, especially when, like you said, you can go into Mexico and it, yeah, it adds pressure going into a heat saying like this heat's kind of make or break. But then, I don't know, in that way, you can also reach new places in your mind of like determination, you know, and and accomplishment. But, you know, with that said... And you're saying this next year you have top five as a goal. At what point are you going to bring the world title as like a goal moving into the year? Is that already like in your plan?
2: I mean, that's a plan for down the road, definitely. And I'm not mm-hmm. like, I'm never counting anything out. But for me, like when I have a goal in place, like I mm-hmm. will literally do anything in my power to get there. And if I don't get there, I get, I get disappointed in myself because I know that I set goals that I feel yeah. are, reasonable achievable achievable and hence like I think the world tour just looking and assessing and like last year it's such a mental game like it's not even just the best surfer it's the person who is so mentally like strong and capable and Mm. it's such a game like I think firstly the player needs to get used to playing the game well and then once they understand all the spots once they understand all the people then you can kind of I, I feel like i want to give myself a few years before i really make that a tangible goal like hey i want a world title i think if i did that now um like i said i'm a perfectionist if i don't reach a goal that i have set myself sometimes it's more detrimental than beneficial for yeah, me that makes sense yeah i'm looking at it as like climbing a ladder i'm not trying to rush anything everyone on tour like is surfing so freaking well right now and i'm not like i said i'm not counting anything out but Course. Just setting reasonable goals I think for me is like I've learned over the years if I just go, I want this, like I want to be here and I don't reach it, I just go, I get really down. So
1: yeah,
2: uh, that'll be a goal eventually, but for now it's top five for sure.
1: And I think that's such a good perspective of like you have so much to learn of being on tour. It's not just like surfing the best at the wave. It's like, you know, being able to be four events in – Six events in, and still have like the mental capability to show up every day and try and perform. Like there's so many of those aspects to the world tour, as you just mentioned, that I think are so interesting.
2: Yeah, definitely. It's um, it's a lot more mentally challenging than it looks from the outside, which is cool. Yeah. Cause I like I like the mental challenge, but in saying that, you got to, you got to be good at playing the game, and the game is so different compared to the QS. So I think to kind of have those expectations of myself, like super early on, maybe it would be, like I said, more detrimental. But again, that's definitely a goal that I have. I want to get there eventually, just depending on how quickly that's the only yeah. thing.
0: Yeah. It's definitely a huge goal to have in mind. Um, I love that you already like have your site set on top five. You're not in my opinion, it would seem you're not that phased about the whole mid-season cut that's you know being thrown into the tour when it comes to making top five, not just even make it in into that top 10 that would take those requalifying positions. But then heading into the new part of that conversation is that we have so many new venues on tour. And heading into 2022, Pipe is the very first event. It's the opening event. Sunset follows it. Back in 2020, as you mentioned before, like you were prepping for Snapper for your first event on the championship tour, which is slightly different than Pipeline for the starting event of a season. Um, So different. (laughs) And the whole calendar overall, like it's just changed. I feel like what you qualified for back in 2020, your expectation for the championship tour, and then all of the adjustments and the changes in venues that happened in 2021, now those being thrown out and you're being handed like the heaviest, Waves on tour that the women have ever been handed. What are your thoughts heading into those events and how is your training, you know, heading into things? I know you're spending some time early on the North Shore just specifically to focus on preparing for those early new events.
2: Yeah, it's the new and improved calendar is definitely one of, or if not the heaviest calendar that I've ever seen. But again, the lessons I learned last year with all of the changes. I felt like I was always like there was so many heightened emotions, so much anxiety. But learning to like work through those anxieties and still perform was a big lesson that I learned. And it's like you know we've got pipe. It's going to be nerve wracking. Everyone's going to be nervous. It's going to be scary. But like learning to perform in those anxious moments is something that I think we all learned through COVID. No matter what, not even in surfing, just everyday life. So. I'm just trying to like deconstruct all the different places that we're going to. Um, Pipeline reminds me a lot, especially backdoor of a wave at home we call South straddy You know, the way that it breaks, like taking off behind the peak. It's somewhere that I love. And again, trying to relate a place that I feel comfortable at to one of the venues is going to be really beneficial for me. And so I've, I'm here early. I'm on the North Shore. I've surfed backdoor and pipe quite a bit, sunset, and just trying to find... The right entry into the wave and relating it to how I normally surf South Stratty has been super beneficial. Like I've got a couple of fun little barrels, Hmm. um, nothing too gnarly yet. I'm slowly trying to make my way up because I've obviously never really surfed here before. So I'm trying not to throw myself too far in the deep end. Otherwise I might, again, it might move me backwards rather than forwards. But even just sitting out there, watching the lines that guys like John John take, I think come contest day, it's gonna. It's not going to be a matter of like, where do I sit? What waves do I catch? It's going to be a more of a, all right, you just got to throw yourself over. Like you just got to go and commit. And knowing that there's water safety, there's everything around, it's, you're not going to have to deal with the crowds, which is probably the most stressful part about this place. So that's kind of soothing for me. I love sunset. I love big walls of moving water. So I feel comfortable here already. We were meant to have the contest here last year, but it got cancelled. So I spent a decent three weeks just surfing my brains out at sunset. Backhand barrels, we've got Chopu and G-Land. That's another story in itself. Coming into last year, I had no clue how to get into a pig dog stance, like none whatsoever. It was just so (laughs) awkward. But I've been working heaps with um, a lot of coaches at home and going to the wave pool down in Melbourne was really beneficial, surfing urban surf. and Like that wave is so gnarly. It's like two foot and it's thick as and breaks like onto concrete. So I feel like if you can surf that, it kind of makes everywhere else look <laughs> easy. <easier. laughs> but just, just repetition, um, going down south and like surfing bigger bombies down south to get used to sunset. I feel like I've done everything in my power I can to make myself feel comfortable at the spots I know we're going to surf this year. Again, things might change, but I'm so used to like the change now that heck, they could throw us out somewhere that I'd never surfed before. And I know that I would be okay, you know?
1: Yeah, that makes sense. So I want to know your opinion on this, because this is something that I've kind of thrown to Shannon, just like we've been talking about. But I feel like there's an argument for this year that the rookies and yourself, like people who have been on the tour for, let's say, under three years and under, have an advantage because the people who have been on tour for so long are used to that format and you know, I mean, even for yourself, like you were looking at those spots for so long and, and like you kind of get into a, you start like mind surfing them and and playing yourself there. But these surfers who have been on tour for 10, 12 years are used to starting at snapper going to bells and playing that out that maybe this change could actually kind of throw things out and people like yourself and the rookies coming up are like, okay, Hey, we're, we're used to change and or we're not used to really anything yet and that could be an advantage what do you think?
2: I 100 agree with that yeah I cool. think especially seeing the rookie class that's come through this year they're mm. gonna dominate out here obviously there's a few Hawaiians there's um yeah there's a few or India Robinson she's great and powerful waves like this too I just think the rookie class looking at them. I know that they're going to do well with the change of venues because they had Arasero, which was big. They had a few other places which were solid. France was solid. Mm. Obviously, we're coming into this. The first five contests. I'm looking at it like it's more of like a big wave tour. To be honest, we've got Pipe Sunset, yeah. Panish can get gnarly. Bells and Margs, yeah. And then all those girls that have qualified have qualified through solid waves like that. Hollyva, of course, and I like that because if I put myself in um, the veteran's shoes, say someone who's been on tour forever, like Sally or Steph, if you thought that the tour was going to be somewhere, you'd obviously go and surf those waves. You wouldn't, you wouldn't think that it was going to change. So you're so used to surfing all these like 10 different spots. Yeah, exactly. And. Exactly. I mean, those girls are so good at what they do that I'm sure they can adapt like that, but coming in, not having any expectations, it could be just as valuable too. So who knows? Like, all those girls on tour already are so good at being able
0: to adapt, but I'm going to have to agree that I reckon the rookies this year are going to dominate. It's pretty wild thinking of that being like basically a big wave tour. What is your equipment looking like? Like totally different than boards that you've normally been riding, or I guess you were preparing for sunset last season anyway, so you already had Mm -hmm. some bigger boards in your quiver?
2: Yeah, I've got, every year I come to Hawaii with Billabong and um, obviously I came last year to surf at sunset. So I have I have a decent quiver already here. I think I've got like 25 to 30 boards that I have down in my room downstairs that I've just accumulated over the years. And they're all big wave boards, whether it be sunset, pipe. Um, You need to ride bigger boards here. You can't ride your short board. But I've been working on certain boards with Darren as well that have a lot more volume through the chest, but you can turn it easier. So you can ride it a little bit shorter. And those Go the same like for bells and marks. You can ride those same boards at those venues too. So I think had I have looked at the tour maybe two years ago, I think my quiver would be looking completely different than it does this year. But yeah, I've got um, some pangs over here. I'm trying some arakawas. Obviously Hawaiian shapers. They know exactly where their board's going to fit in the wave. So I've just got kind of a mix of a quiver. Really, I've just got bits and bobs. And if it feels good, I put it on ice and. I've never yeah. surfed a contest in Hawaii before, so it's going to be a lot of just trial and error, I think, and a lot of snapping boards and a lot of just trying to find my feet. And I think that's going to come even through the contest. I don't don't think I've found my feet yet. Like it's it's going to come through just repetition and just putting myself in the right spot at the right time. So, yeah, I've got a good quiver under my feet. I'm excited. It's going to be good.
1: Yeah. So saying then to what you just said, that you've never surfed an event in Hawaii before, obviously some of the other CT surfers surfed in the Eve event. Did you consider that? Like what was the decision making between surfing it and not surfing
2: it? I take it back. I actually surfed um, at Honolulu. Uh, sorry, not Honolulu, Honolulu. That's true. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that is true.
1: But the North Shore, the, se- the seven-mile stretch.
2: Yes, that's what I the meant. The seven-mile That miracle. just didn't come out of my mouth properly. Um, No, I thought about it, but considering restrictions and changing restrictions in Australia, obviously, I didn't want to come over so early because I haven't actually spent Christmas with my family in like three years. So that for me yeah, was – Yeah, that's true. That was the thing I was looking forward to the most. And then obviously – I came over a month and a week early, and I felt that that was going to be enough time for me to adjust. And, I mean, Hollywood would have been cool to surf in the contest, but, again, I think they ended up changing the rule before the comp um, about the CT, about the double qualifiers. Yeah, it was changed was awesome. beforehand. That changed right before, yeah. but I think the sign-up date prior to that and we didn't know whether there was double qualifiers or not, and I didn't want to go over and kind of ruin someone's chances anyway, even though it would have been a good experience mm. for me. But I respect that so much. Yeah, I could have come over and done it, but I mean, family time for me is so much more important. And especially looking at the schedule this year, I'm not going to be home much, so I just yeah, family time.
1: Well, when you say it's such like um, it's obviously like you said, the tour is such a mental battle. So making sure you're in the best mental space and giving yourself time to regroup is so important.
0: It is. Yeah. Yeah. What did it what did it feel like for you, Bella, to have like a full off season to actually just walk away from competing, to spend that time at home? Um, did you enjoy it? And now coming back into competition, are you feeling anxious about competing or are you just like ready to get to it? I
2: actually had an off season when I was stuck in America because we couldn't get home for a long time. I think after Mexico, I couldn't get home for a month and a half because the flights were like 30 grand to get back. Um, so I just enjoyed my time over in America. I went to Waco. I went to Santa Barbara. I actually went and saw my sister in Denmark for the first time in two years. So that was incredible. That's awesome. Saw my family, my granddad, my cousins, it was, it was great. And then when I got home, I think there was between getting home and leaving about three and a half months. And that was when I kind of put my head down and started working again. So I didn't really have like an off-season at home. It was more of, yeah, a training season at home. And the waves weren't great, but it was so good to be back because, I mean, I'm such a homebody. I love being home. Um, I'm an introvert. I like just going into my shell and not talking to anyone. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, the time at home I had, the three and a half months, was possibly some of the nicest months I've had in a long time um, no stress, just training, putting my head down and going through the motions. And I kind of didn't want to leave when I came to Hawaii. I I left. I'm like, man, I'm not going to see home for a long time. This is the longest I'm going to be on the road for. I think it's three months. But then as soon as I landed here, I was like, ah, I feels like home here to me, to be honest. Like I've spent so much time here. It's again, I have that level of comfort. So yeah, I'm happy.
0: Yeah, I love hearing that, you know, you got to just enjoy that training season, I guess, um, without at least having to focus on putting the jersey on and be in a place just for the sake of competing. I was surprised that more of the, I guess, a couple of the CT surfers that did decide to go ahead and compete a little bit more in that Challenger Series, that they weren't just wanting to take that time off um, if they were already qualified. I love that nod, though, that you just made to like feeling at home on the North Shore. You've definitely spent some time uh, hanging with those North Shore locals like, you know, you're good friends with Mahina Maeda. You've spent some time with Betty Lou Sakura Johnson, with Luana Silva, and some other North Shore locals. Has that been more of a natural connection through training with Kid Poligro, or has it been that you have intentionally wanted to pick their brains on North Shore as locals and get to know, you know, what it has to offer from their perspective?
2: I actually think it's just a matter of them being good people and me meeting them overseas and not even in Hawaii. And then obviously coming over here, I have those connections with them already. I met Betty in um Honolua. Her and her mom are just the most beautiful people ever. And I came to Oahu and they took us on hikes galore. Like I had never heard of some of these places we went to. And just like spending that time away from the ocean for me is the way I recharge. Obviously, meeting kid, I'm actually staying with him right now. I'm on his balcony. This is their view. Training <laughs> with him, Mahina. They're just beautiful people. They've just taken us in like family, which has just been, again, that's a level of comfort for me. It's the people that I meet in the places that I go to. If I feel like I've got a a good, secure family base, then I'm happy. Luana I went to the west side with her yesterday she showed me around she's a full-blown sunset local so I just try and like pick her brain even though I know she's going to be nice. my competitor this year I just watch what she does um but yeah the people here are awesome the people are just so friendly and kind and they have a lot of knowledge about the ocean obviously living here there's a lot of ocean a lot of water so um mm. it's different to surfing a beach break at home so I just like picking people's brains, tapping into their knowledge and just trying to find out a bit more about the history of Hawaii and just trying to feel at one and at home in a place like this. It's pretty easy to do. It's so beautiful here and the people are lovely. But yeah, I think meeting good
0: people over here has been a godsend. Yeah, that's amazing. It definitely to me sounds like it's setting you up for success too, for the tour starting out there, knowing that Pipeline and Sunset as weird as it is that you're the sunny coast Australian girl that you feel at home on the North shore, especially considering that women haven't competed there for, I think at Haleva, we were saying it was like 11 years since the women had had an event on the North shore. So for you coming up as one of those in a younger generation or fresher to the tour in your early twenties, it's pretty incredible that you have that feeling of home. And I feel like that's such good advice, like to those that are up and coming and wanting to grow their competitive careers possibly and have their sights set on being the next Isabella Nichols being the next Steph Gilmore that they like that's such good advice actually for some of those up and comers um having said that though I would love to know you know Rachel already asked you kind of your thoughts on the rookie class this year and do they have a benefit do you guys maybe have that benefit over the veterans that are on tour Um, This year, that rookie class is looking pretty different than yours did with five outstanding (laughs) surfers. They've got their whole, very, very different. They've got a whole team. There's like a rookie team that could be competing in the Dahui this week or whatever, you know? Their experience, though, stepping into this new world, it's likely to be similar to yours coming in kind of for the first time surfing these events. What advice would you give to those rookies on tour this year heading into a solid season at Hawaii to start things off?
2: Hmm. I really like that question because it's going to make me think a little bit, but (laughs) I think the main piece of advice that I got given a long time ago, and it stuck with me for forever. Obviously, I'm still relaying this information. It got given to me like 10 years ago, but everything's a, a marathon and not a sprint. So I think it's just a matter of getting acclimatized to the tour and I mean, I went in not expecting too much, but then I had a good result in the second event and it doesn't always happen like that. I think just finding your roots, finding your happy place mostly. There was moments that I could tell in a contest where I would just be so stressed and just like looking at the ratings and going, man, I got to requalify." And then there was, that was the points where I kind of just got ahead of myself and didn't really do too well. But the contest where I went and I was like, man, this is fun. Like I'm doing this because I love it was where I did really well. And I don't know if there's a correlation between that, but for me, there definitely is. For some people, it's different. Mm. Some people love the stress. But for me, I just love the feeling of surfing and enjoying it. So I think just trying to do things that make you happy and that put you in a good place alongside actually competing is the main thing. And also, like you don't want to get to the end of your tour your experience on tour and be like, man, I didn't like have any fun. That was just stressful as hell. Yeah. You want to, you want to still enjoy it. Otherwise there's no point in doing it really.
1: I think that's the best advice you could have given because that's like been exactly my experience as well. Like the year I won my world title was 100% the year that I had the most fun, like outside of the contest. Like when the heats would finish, I'd like go away from the beach and I'd go like explore and hike around the Island and whatever. And, I've definitely come to that same conclusion as well as like looking back, I've now been competing on the longboard tour for eight years and yeah, you rem- you remember results along the way, but the things that like when I think about the past eight years are like memories that I've had with friends alongside the contest. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I think that's such good advice to people now starting to do travel around the world and make this, a career and a job because it is stressful, but, um, there's a lot of beautiful moments along the way too.
2: That's it. It's the balance. You got, you got to have balance in life and it's hard to find sometimes, but when you get it right, it's, it's amazing. So that's
0: it. So well said. Um, thank you so much, Bella, for joining us on the double up and just taking some time out of the ocean. I know that there are waves galore happening on the North shore and just all over Oahu at the moment. Um, But yeah, this was such a lovely conversation and we're just such fans of yours. We're so excited to see how you go in your second year on tour after having such a fantastic start off on your rookie year. And um, yeah, we're just really excited to see what this year and what the future has in store for you. So thank you so much for joining us for this conversation.
2: Thanks for having me. I'm big fans of both of yours too. So right back at you. And um, it's a privilege to be on your podcast. Thanks for the lovely chat.
1: Mm. (laughs) and I know it um it may not fit you know whatever happens happens it may not fit into your next five-year plan but I will let you know that I've already been announcing for you that I think in the next five years you'll be a world champion because (laughs) you're surfing so well so (laughs) no no No, I'm I'm just I have so much confidence in you and so I'm excited to I'm excited to watch you you know surf this year
2: thank you so much that means a lot honestly that's (laughs) that means a lot thank you (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> and I just honestly, like now that I'm thinking about it with Rachel saying that and thinking of your style and like a couple of waves that I have like burned into my memory of you riding, I just can't wait to be able to be in the booth to call more of your heats and just to be able to see you like just surf to your full potential. It's going to be so
2: fun. I'm so excited. I'm, I'm excited to have you in the booth too. So are you going to be coming in commentating
0: at a lot of the events? I'll be in some. I'm not sure what my schedule looks like yet. I won't be in Hawaii. Erin and I are heading back to Australia next week, but um, I'll definitely be around for some of them. Perfect. I can't wait to see you there. Well, Rachel, I loved talking to Bella today. Um, I just love getting the insights to her perspectives on, you know, her life in surfing and to see how much farther it has gone than I think she ever really dreamed it could from the beginning. Yeah, it's just so great to see where she's at now.
1: Now that I've known her for a couple of years and have seen her, you know, make it from through the QS and qualified for the CT and she's now had her first rookie year on the CT. I'm just, I really am such a fan of her surfing. And when, when I said that, I think she'll be a world champion in the next five years. I really believe it. I've been claiming that for her to anyone who will listen. It was so great to hear from her. She's just so well-spoken and easy to talk to and such an awesome person.
0: Yeah, that was so much fun. And I totally agree with you. Like to me, her surfing speaks so much of a young Steph Gilmore and she's That's got what maturity I, I agree. it. Yeah, yeah I that agree. is exactly it. Like Isabella Nichols to me is the next Steph Gilmore in her style, in her composure and heat mm-hmm. and in everything that she brings to her surfing when she's actually riding a wave. And um, she also brings that, I think just to the conversation, it was so easy to chat with her and Um, she's a friend of both of ours. And so we get to see her on the road occasionally, but it was really fun to be able to dive into some of those deeper questions with her.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Isabella, for coming and chatting with us.
0: And I hope the listeners, I hope you guys enjoyed this. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Double Up. Be sure to sign up for our newsletter on the website. Give us feedback, send in any questions and topics that you'd like to hear. Our Instagram handle is at the.double.up. And our website is womensurf.net. Thanks so much. Bye.